Welcome to another episode of Evolving to Power, and today is no different. Uh, we have an amazing, amazing entrepreneur with us, uh, Pijman Gamani. Uh, he's a uh, self-entrepreneur. He's an author. He's a philosopher. He's the creator of the, uh, the, the wealth transfer methodology. Pijman, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. Well, I'm glad to be here. You can call me PJ if it's any easier. Absolutely. PJ will work for, <laughs> PJ will work for us. I know that you've been in business, uh, PJ, for well over 20 years. And in your 20 years, uh, you've been able to create some over $420 million in revenue. Uh, but before we get there, uh, why don't you take us back to how you got started? Uh, where did all of this uh, uh, big goals and big dreams and ideas start from? So there's a couple of uh, basic things that helped me kind of get started in business. Starting with, I had a very uh, early background in corporate America, starting as an 18-year-old bank manager. Then I became a 23-year-old VP of a bank. And then by 25, I was fired from that job. So I started my own investment company. And then from there, uh, started growing for about 10 to 12 years, only to then realize that I didn't want to be in that business anymore. And I started building my online companies. So back in 2008, I started teaching online, took about six years to get started, uh, like to actually gain some kind of momentum. And then here we are today. That's the basis of, I mean, the 20 years of work. And just to slightly correct your, your earlier introduction, the, uh, the main thing to consider is that our smallest company to date uh, last year did 420 million in one year, not wow. to date, not in 20 years. So wow. there's a big wow. difference. My apologies. Absolutely. Oh, okay. oh, that's terrific. So 18 years old, uh, you're, you're, you're getting into corporate America. Was that what you wanted to, to do? Did you always know uh, you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Like what prompted you one into corporate America? Or is that just um, by way of what you've seen in your family, uh, people that you had around you? Where did that uh, uh, start? That love and drive to sure. Yeah, I was an immigrant, so I never had much money. And me and my single mom moved from Iran to France and only from France to then L.A. and eventually to Virginia. So when I was 14 years old, I started working because I just needed money uh, and to help support my mom as well, because she was also working full time. Uh, I started working as a telemarketer and I did really, really well in sales service and everything. And by the age of 18, I finally had a green card. So it was like all the work was done. Uh, and I was actually already making 70, 80K a year uh, being an 18-year-old kid. So wow. it was already kind of a, a serious commitment early. And the only job that could technically pay me where I lived in Virginia enough to basically have some type of upgrade from the job I was in was banking. So I had a my mom had a friend that worked at a bank. They thought it was a joke that an 18-year-old wanted to be a bank manager without going to school. <laughs> Uh, but I basically went through four stages of interviews, uh, and two of them people thought was really a joke. Like they literally thought this was a prank on them, but I, I really wowed, uh, the two first people to a degree where they got me an interview with the two executives that made a decision to hire me as the youngest bank manager in the U S. Wow. 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 So what did that drive come from? Uh, did anyone else in your family have drive like you or how just kind of Give us a little gist of how you got to this point. Well, I think that the drive wasn't really the drive for, you know, being successful or, or anything else. It was just a realization early on that 
My mom was a really important person in her country when we were in Iran. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of immigrant stories where people have left their country and have become basically gone from very high power, high good paying jobs into just being normal day-to-day wage workers, Absolutely. you know, in America, right? So it's like the guy that's maybe the king in India or something is not working at Walmart in America, you know, like in things right. like that. Uh, are very common. And I think that the people in the US don't really realize that, that, you know, there's a very different dynamic. When when we came to when we came to America, like my mom was already an entrepreneur. She was never a successful entrepreneur. She was just someone who had basically built businesses to make ends meet and, and had done a good job at providing us shelter and so on and so forth. But at some point in my life, very early on, when I was like 14 years old, uh, I realized that my mom wasn't going to be able to give me a lifestyle or, or the things that I wanted. Uh, she had done a tremendous job at giving me a life that I needed, meaning that I had shelter, I had food, I never worried about what I needed to do to go to school or, or to have, you know, some time to enjoy with friends. But but realistically, I had no friends, nor did I care about having friends. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I said, what I really care about is I look around me and I see we we were in a fairly affluent neighborhood. Uh, we just lived in the basement, meaning of someone's home, you know, and they lived in a good area. And one of the things that was very interesting to me is my entire life, I was brought up living uh, in like really good neighborhoods, but just very small places, like either a one bedroom or a basement or something. But my mom always picked good places for us to live. So I was always surrounded by good things, you know. And one yeah. of the things that occurred in that time is I would see the other kids like 16 with a Camaro or something, or a parents bought him a $50,000 car or something. And, you know, and this was back in the day when 50 grand was 50 grand, like now right, 50 grand right, doesn't right. buy Ikea, you know, but the, <laughs> in, you know, these kids, they had Camaros, Mustangs, and they lived in these affluent neighborhoods and, and I didn't. Right. So, so for me, this was a, a big deal because I would see basically what I couldn't have. And, and time and time again, I decided that I, I just, I wanted that. But I, I, it was a clear realization at 14 that I wasn't going to be given that. Mm. And, and the difference became that I had to figure out the difference in the denomination, basically. It's like, you know the equation, you know the first piece of it, and you know the last result you want, but you don't know the middle piece, which is you. Right. And right. so for me, it was more like, well, I got to go to work. And since I didn't know what to do, because as a child, you don't know what you want to do, what your purpose is, what, what kind of crap you want to get into the rest of your life. I just decided, I said, you know what, since I can't really like know what path I want to take, at least I know that if I go to work, I make a dollar. If I don't go to work, I don't make any money. So <laughs> if I'm $1 closer, well, it's still better than being $1 further. So I said, I don't really care the job. And I didn't have a green card at first, so I was limited. I couldn't do anything. I even begged McDonald's to let me clean floors for like $3 an hour. They were paying seven and I was like, I'll, I'll do it for three just because I don't have a green card. It doesn't matter. And they were like, no, you can't work here. Wow. So eventually I found a place that was willing to give me a, a shot at basically talking on the phone and doing the job most people hate. Uh, and I said, I, I don't really care. You pay $12 an hour, I'll do it. You know, so hmm. I did that. And I worked full time since the age of 14. So I kind wow. of, I just realized that no one was going to give me the lifestyle I wanted basically. Wow, that's terrific. I mean, and, and, and just to attest, my, my cousin came from Haiti. Uh, my native home is Haiti. She was a doctor in Haiti. And, and PJ, as a doctor in Haiti, you have servants, you have people that cook your food. Forget about it. 
she came here to the U.S. and her doctorate wouldn't, I mean, her MD certificate wouldn't transfer here. Just like you said, she was essentially working at Walmart. And she's still yes, today true. working at Walmart because she has to go back to her entire schooling once again just to get that recognition uh, once again. So you're 14 years old. You see everything around you, what other people's have. Uh, you want those things, but you realize nothing's going to be given to you. What do you do to start sharpening your tools? Is it is it books? Is it um, uh, who's starting to push you in that direction that says, hey, because at some point you got to figure out what the path looks like. What is your first step outside of just work? Because many people work and they're still broke. So talk so, to me about no, the, the shift actually, in direction. This is actually an interesting thing you said. You said, you know, like books and things. I've never read a book in my life. I hate reading. Uh, I hate <laughs> learning from other people. I've never had a mentor. I think it's absolutely stupid. And I, I'll tell you why I think that, which is very contradictory to what most people say, right? Surround yourself with mentors and blah, 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 blah. I think, you know, the one thing I have that most people don't have is self-sufficiency. I don't rely on other people and I don't rely on other things going on around me to justify why I do or don't do something. So I worked four years straight uh, without a green card, only to get a green card and work, you know, 10 years more in corporate America. But I, I just realized one key thing very early on is that one, no one owes you shit, period. doesn't mm -hmm. matter what it is. Don't matter what degree you have. I don't care what, you know, parents you have, how rich you are, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't make a difference. If you accept that very early on, you start to realize that you only owe yourself the opportunity to try. Mm -hmm. Now, the other part is the, the big mistake people make is they confuse hard work with long work. Those are two completely different things. Mm -hmm. They constantly talk about, I work a lot of hours, I'm tired. Like that doesn't <laughs> change anything. I think for me, it was always like, I don't really care about anything other than just being able to move forward. And even when I didn't know where to move forward to, I just wanted to move forward. So one of the pieces of advice I give a lot of young people today when they ask me, they go, I don't know what I want to do and I'm trying to find my passion. I go, your passion comes as you practice, but not doing isn't practice. So it's basically not doing You're still at zero. <laughs> so, so usually I tell people, I'm like, if you don't know what you want to do, nothing prevents you from getting a job, even if it's a terrible job, while you're finding a better job. <clears throat> so you, you have two ways to look at life. Either I sit there and don't do or I just go and find a job only to push me to get a better job and a better job and a better job. And the argument is you can either do something or do nothing. And so wow. for me, I didn't, I didn't change my path. I basically go, okay, I don't understand money. I'm 18 years old. I made good money. Like this was great money. I was now supporting my mom. I owned my first home at 18. So I was like, okay, like I'm good. You know, I'm doing stuff. Wow. And I was like, certainly I don't have the power to buy a ton of nice stuff. I just have enough to basically buy this home and get us food, and my mom goes to work part-time, and we're good, right? Like, we're, we're comfortable. But I was like, this is bullshit. Like, I was like, this isn't the life we want. I look around, and there's a guy walking around with a $30,000 Rolex and a $200,000 Ferrari. That guy doesn't give a shit. I'm like, that's the next level of not giving a shit. I was like, that guy doesn't have problems, you know? I was like, I like that guy. And everybody else was like, that guy. That guy's because he's, like, driving around with his car. I was like, that guy got it figured out. He's doing what every one of you wants to do. And he doesn't give a shit about any of you. And you're all talking about him. <laughs> so I was like, that, that guy gets it. So, so I, just, started just, I started just working. Yeah, so yeah, you figured I mean, it out with just by looking at 
everyone around you, basically. You know, the, the, the basic premise was even during my banking career, the only way I, I just kept getting promoted every six months was I had the highest promotion rate out of any single human being, even to date in, in banking history, in the history of banking in America. And one of the reasons that happened is because all I was doing is I wouldn't worry so much about what everyone else was doing. I would go to work and I would basically, I, I looked at it this way. I managed my team this way. Everybody was like, well, you got to do overtime. You got to do as much as you can and milk your, your money while you're there and this. And I was like, no, what you got to do is figure out how to maximize your output for 40 hours you're there. So mm -hmm. the average American goes to work like eight hours a day, but really works hard for an hour and a half to two hours a day. Very so true. if we can figure out how to work hard for the eight hours a day, we've created 400% more output than the average American. Mm -hmm. So I was wow. like, all we have to do is get a four people team to work really hard for the entire duration that they committed to work. Wow. And if we can do that, the four people team basically will act like a 16 people team wow. because they deliver the same output as 16 people. Wow. And in this, in this equation, which was to me very simple, apparently very complicated to a lot of people that work there, which I was like, it's a really simple concept. You're here for eight hours, you get paid for eight hours, so you work for eight hours. Don't come up with a reason why you don't work. Like, don't come up with, I need a three hour lunch or I need a 20 minute conversation with my buddy or my cousin called. You're there eight hours, you get there at 8 a.m., you get out at 6 p.m., whatever the time you're there, you work. That's it. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So, unless you're at lunch, you work. And when I got people to realize that, our teams kept being number one in like basically every ranking, you know, from service to sales to this to that. And those guys were getting promoted. So I was promoting so many people. And if someone wasn't adopting this psychology, which was really simple, I was basically firing them instantly because I was like, you're not going to, you're going to poison my team. Hmm. And I would always get basically like called into HR and stuff because they were like, well, you can't just fire people. I was like, I did like fire me. And they were like, no, well, you're the top producer. I was like, exactly. So piss off. Like stop trying to hinder like what I'm doing. And I would always, and, and I think this is the, this is the best way to describe high one is not giving a sh because if the objective and the intent is honest like my intent was to make the bank money but my intent was also to make my team one richer two promoted faster because it was within a system i didn't own the bank i understood the system i said you want to get promoted you do this i'll give you that and i held my promises hmm. so i would constantly promote people constantly get them to get you know ranking up ranking up and everything and they loved it and it just worked phenomenal you know everything worked great and uh we kept doing spectacular work i mean it's just we, we did so well that every six months they kept promoting i went from manager to regional manager to you know like uh, head of a department like and, and i kept gaining knowledge by showing up and not letting someone else tell me what i needed to learn hmm. so i didn't know anything about banking at 18 so i would get there three hours earlier and i would stay three hours after and i would basically all i would do is I would just read uh, the internal documents from departments that I didn't have access to. Hmm. So I would call training and say, give me access to mortgage training. And they would be like, you're not a mortgage associate. I was like, doesn't matter. Just like hook it up. And they were like, you just want the training module. And they were like, yeah, I'll do the training module. And it was like, they would call, get authorization. They were like, he just wants to learn about this. So we're like, okay, like he's going to sell mortgages anyways. And I would take it and I would never make an excuse why oh, well, I'm new to banking or I don't know this. And I was like, I'm an idiot if I don't figure it out. Someone gave me a great opportunity to make up to 150K a year working at a bank at the age of 18. Why the hell would I not spend 17, 20 hours a week 
self-educating myself. So I would spend all my weekends volunteering to basically be a teller, uh, a teller, like, like a person that does cash, even though I was a manager, I would volunteer to be a teller at a different location just so I could pretend to be tellering while I was watching the manager because he was a top producing manager. I was watching how or what strategies he was using to basically wow. win. Wow. And he was like, oh, you're filling in my teller line. It's really nice of you. I was like, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I do. You know, I'm happy to help and I'm new. Mm-hmm. And they were like, great. And I was really, all I was doing was, was just observing. So the mentorship I was giving wasn't even like taking someone inside these kids today. They go, PJ, mentor me, like teach me how to make millions of dollars. I'm like, I don't know you. Why would I give a shit if you're rich or not? Like, I don't, that's your problem, not mine. Mm-hmm. Like you, people want something from people, but they don't walk in and go like, Here's, here's what I can do for you. Every relationship in the world is a give and take, right? Mm-hmm. And, these, and these kids, they come in, they go, give me, and then I'll give you back. And it's like, well, I can give you, but you can't give me back. You don't even know what life looks like when you have. Mm-hmm. So what difference does it make? I, but, we, would call, we would call somebody like you, your character, a disruptor. And with I don't, that, you know, I, with I that, don't this, think I'm a disruptor. I but think, I mean, I just, let me clarify with that. The, with the disruption, I mean, you are kind of like an anomaly. So like there's other people, like you said, that that want things, but they don't know either one, how to get it, or they don't have the will and drive and determination to. You are kind of self-sufficient. Like you did all of this, you know, by just watching other people. Like you said, it wasn't really a mentor per se and nobody handed you anything. And I think to add to that, from what I'm hearing is you truly had the desire. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people that I talk to in business they talk about how they want, what they want. They like the idea of success. They like right. the idea of being wealthy. They like the idea of driving the best car, but it's only an idea in their minds, their real true desire. Who the hell wants to take their weekend and go volunteer just to study how the top managers, those are the things they're not willing to do. Well, because, because they think they're owed, they're owed success because they're trying. That's That's the... That's the disease in America is the participation trophy, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like you're owed a victory for trying. And it's like, no, you ain't no shit. Like you, if, if your kid plays soccer and he f***s up, he should go to play more soccer until he learns not to f*** up. He shouldn't be given a trophy <laughs> for f***ing up. Like, like why, why the hell do we give someone a trophy for like destroying his team and failing to make a goal? Like, Oh, yeah, well, you played today. Like, so why do they all need trophies? There's a guy that played better, and this should encourage the kid that fucked up to basically be like, I have something to aspire to. I can clearly identify who the best team player was today, and I can see how he plays, and I want to play like him. And the reason why I disagree that I'm a disruptor is because a disruptor typically takes a concept and reworks it, right? And all I've done in my entire life is simply take a concept and actually not rework it, but work it. Like every human is given a 40 hour work week in a corporate job. So I I didn't go out and say, I just refactor how we did banking. You know, I I refactored how customers came to the bank. I was creative. I came up with a marketing plan and things nobody did. I just showed up and I said, someone made me a contract to pay me X amount of money to work X amount of hours. Okay, so I actually took that contract seriously. Hmm. And, and I accepted that contract. When we accept a job, 
we accept the contract. Like nobody puts a gun to our face in America and goes, you got to go pick up trash today. You go, I got a job picking up trash for 60 grand. Okay. Well, nobody forced you to get that job. Nobody forced you to take it. This was the best you could do at the moment based on your skill and based on what your confidence was and what you believe you could go for. So hmm. you found that job. Now, once you have that job, here comes the American mentality. Let me bitch every day about everything I don't like about that job. I don't like the boss. I, I don't like the fact that they asked me to come in an hour early. I really hate the fact that they're, they're not nice to me. They don't, they don't really like give me nice words in the morning to make me feel better about my job. Like, why do you believe the contract was simple? X amount of work for X amount of money. And these are the tasks. Hmm. Before someone has even accomplished these tasks for years, they yet about the fact that everything that helps them accomplish these facts makes it difficult for them. Wow. Okay. So nobody said life had to be easy, but life is simple. You show up, you pick up trash for a year, you make 60K, you save 30, you go and say, okay, I have two choices. I can further my self-education right. or two, I can find a better job. Now I have some skills. Maybe I can become a manager so I don't have to pick up the trash. Mm -hmm. Now, the first thing they go is, here's the reason why none of us become managers and they do. So instead of mm -hmm. saying, I worked my ass off for a year, let me see if I can become a, a manager now. Like, let me see, let me apply for it just like everyone else. I see it posted in the job bulletin here internally. Manager needed. You know what? I'm going to apply for that. Uh, I've done a great job for a year, guys. Uh, I think I have some good ideas. I'm going to help you guys out. Hmm. No, instead, it's like, you know what? That's not for us. Mm -hmm. And then we surround ourselves with dumb people who agree with us, hmm. right? They just go like, yeah, that's not for us. You're right. We don't have a shot there. I remember when I wanted to be a regional manager, there was a kid that was sitting next to me. Like, I, I, I'm Persian, right? So I'm brown. This kid was black. He looks at me and he goes, we don't get positions like that. Hmm. And I go, and I just looked at him and I was like, who is we? Or like, <laughs> what, what part of like we... Like, like, I don't understand. Like, what are you identifying? And he, and he just looked at me. He's like, look at us. And I was like, are you that dumb? Like, the, I was like, the head of the bank's number two guy is black. Like, why would number eight and nine have a problem with being black? Like, it doesn't, like, make sense. Mm -hmm. But it's the victimhood mentality right. of basically being like, if I forfeit that and I say that, then I gave myself a reason not to Depends. try, mm -hmm. right? Like, because if I, now if I work really hard and I don't get it, well, well, I wasted a lot of time. But, but the way I look at it is if you work really hard and you, and you didn't get it, you still gain the experience and the expertise. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely, 200%. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in once again to Evolve Into Power. More ways to watch is on our YouTube channel, and that's at the Clarius Group. That's C-L-A-I-R-C-I-U-S Group. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Now, if you're interested in buying, selling, or investing in real estate, you can give us a call, 863-323-7778. Now, our office is based out of Central Florida, but we can service you wherever you're at. We sell properties from the $50,000 range on up to the million dollar range, multi-million dollar range. So please give us a call, 863-323-7778. It'll be one of the best calls you've ever made. Now let's get back to the show. So uh, uh, take, us, uh, take us back a little bit because I really want to dive into your businesses and, and some of the amazing things that you're doing, your books and your ideologies. So you're crushing it at the bank. 
you're every six months you're getting a promotion. They fire you at 25. Take us, tell us the story behind that, and and, and ultimately, what sparked the journey into entrepreneurship? Then I, I drove. I was 23 when 21 when I bought my first Porsche. I was 23 when I bought my first Ferrari. 23 when I bought my first Lamborghini, and I showed up to work as a banker, a conservative banker with a bright orange Lamborghini convertible. And my boss drove a <laughs> Nissan Maxima. And his boss drove a Lexus. And the entire executive team drove black Mercedes cars. Yeah. And there is jackass of the year me showing up with a bright orange Lamborghini, top-down blasting music, park in the handicapped spot next to everybody, <laughs> and just show up. I'm telling you, I, just, I really like this car. You know, I get a lot of chicken <laughs> with this car. So I'm like, this is good. So I show up to work. <laughs> I already have 50 complaints against me by all the girls that are tellers like love me and stuff. And I have this young guy that's like a third of their age and I show up. So I'm this big, big shot in my head, big ego, you know, like I got this bright orange car Mm -hmm. and and I keep getting these like conversations as if it's like this coaching that's like, Hey, you know, like we're, we're trying to keep an image. And I'm like, what image? They're like, well, you know, we want to be conservative. So I usually tell people, I go, listen, why would someone want to invest money with us or do banking with us if we're poorer than them? It's stupid. Like, you don't go to poor people and go teach me how to manage my money. Hmm. So I was like, people aspire to be like me because they want a Lamborghini. They want this lifestyle. So they come to me and they go, here's $5 million. It's like, invest it for me. Do something. So I'm like, all right, great. And we make money. Hmm. He's like, yeah, but that's not how our bank works. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I spent basically <laughs> a year trying to justify to people why they should open their mind and just grow and think outside of their bubble right but one thing one day i realized something really powerful i realized that i was the only lamborghini and everybody else had black cars and and the the part that i realized is i'm trying to change 30 of them but the but the real change is me removing myself basically from that equation because if you remove my car they look like each other wow but but if you try to change them that's the path of most resistance right because they don't want to change Wow. Mm-hmm. So I just decided, I said, I just don't give a shit. I'm going to start a side business and basically figure it out. I started a side business and apparently they didn't like that because a lot of customers were also doing, you know, like, like coming over and stuff and wanting to do business with me. And that was a conflict of interest. So since I was a number one performer, I don't give a shit. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Until one day they were like, well, you got to choose. It's either that. So I threw my badge at them and I was like, I'm leaving. And I thought they would call me back because I was making, by then I was making a quarter million dollars, right? So I was like, I was like, they're not going to let go of their top performer. I was making them like $6 million a quarter. I was Mm. getting paid 250K a year. So I was like, it doesn't make sense for them to lose that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, lesson learned. So they basically never (laughs) called me back and I walked out of a quarter million dollar job. And I was like, well, that sucked. You know, like, so then I was like, I I was so in disbelief for a year because I was like, some random guy's going to call me and be like, please come back to work. Nope, completely replaced, gone. They were like, good riddance. He walked out. We're, we're done. No severance package, no nothing. So I tried to, I started another business called VIP Motoring and I started doing investments and I started connecting investments to cars and watches, something no one was doing at the time. And this was back in like 05, 06. Uh, 08 came, I took that as huge opportunity to grow my business because assets got really cheap. Uh, I had done tremendously well prior to that. So I had millions of dollars saved in the bank. Uh, so I wasn't poor going into my first business. Most people want to rack the richest story. Broke guy, you know, last day before Christmas, made a call. Nope. Like I just did my thing. And then uh, the business struggled for a year because I was trying to figure it out. Year two got better. Year three got better. Year four and five were kind of. Sh- 
And then we completely revamped our business to basically being a full concierge investment firm for exotics uh, and watches and grew that till about 2010. And then I decided in 10 that I just didn't know that I wanted to stay in that business 10 years from now. And I was always a believer that it takes 10 years to master something. So I gave myself basically five years to figure out how to pivot my life mm-hmm. uh, and basically use the money I had made to not use money to make money, but rather use money to give me comfort, to be able to try something completely new. Mm-hmm. So I hired a CEO to run my company and I went back and started figuring out how to reshape my life. And I really love teaching. That was my core thing. I love to teach. That was my pivot in leadership too. It was always a teaching style. So I always believed in teaching people to rise up and basically support you rather than uh, give them orders to do and work. So I was always a teacher. And so I decided to teach uh, leadership and business online. And I started my first online company called Secret Entourage. Took four years, made no money. I remember after year five, it was funny. We made like 40 grand. And wow. people were like, you made $40,000. I was like, yeah, big, like, woohoo, right? Like, cause like we had to split it three ways. I was like, I can't even <laughs> buy a watch with that. And the guy was like, yeah, it's like completely, f- you should give up. And then uh, what, what happened is I met a guy that was doing like about 20 million online. And he told me like, I, we, he was one of my clients. We went to lunch and he told me something that pivotally changed my entire life. I asked him, I said, you know, how much are you doing online? He said, 20 million. And I said, wow, I'm a failure. You know, I'm like doing 40,000. Like this dude's doing 20 million. Mm-hmm. And I look at him, I'm like, he's not that smart. So I don't know what he knows, but I don't know. <laughs> But, but he said something to me that, that really, I said, how long have you been doing this? And he said, 15 years. And I said, okay, what were you doing on year four? He said, oh, I didn't make any money for 10. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said, okay, so I'm comparing my year four to your mm-hmm. year 15. Wow. So I said, my year four to your year four, I'm way ahead of you because I'm already making revenue. Mm-hmm. Like, because you didn't make money for 10 years. Wow. So I go, holy shit, I'm onto something now. Instead of thinking, so I turn turn the light bulb from I'm to holy shit, I'm actually doing really good. Mm-hmm. And once the expectations were aligned to reality, then I kept doing it. Yeah. And you know, the business the following year went to like 500 K then the following year went to like uh, two and a half, then four. And then I started realizing that what I had done in the eight years was figure out the logistical way to basically have not only an online following, but understand all the intricate details and the dynamics of what sells a product online, how to bring a product to life, what works, what doesn't, you know, how to like customer service online is very different than in person. So like sure. all these things I basically figured out in that time frame. Wow. And what was funny is it took us like a good six years, right? To make our first million bucks online. But now we do a million dollars a day. Wow. Now here's the, here's the important part that's like really different that people don't understand. That, that entire path right there, the benefit of it was we figured out the model. So every time we launched a new platform now or something new, it took a 10th of the time. Hmm. You see, to do the same thing. So our second platform we launched, it didn't take six years. It took six months to make that same million. Hmm. And our third platform took a quarter. Hmm. Then our next platform took a week. You see what I mean? And then, Hmm. so all of these things started, the models started being duplicatable. Hmm. And because I'm not lazy, I was like, okay, this is the time to work. We just figured out, we opened Pandora's box. So let's just built this, you know, and like just, just built this empire around it. And, and the, the, the key factor was when I combined my love for teaching with the structure of how I was like, I learned how to sell my teaching. 
I got really stupid rich. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like when passion basically matched the level of skill set needed to bring the passion to life, everything then started making sense. But, it, it, you know, back to the beginning of this interview, you kind of asked me about, you know, the passion and kind of finding your path. I didn't really find my path till probably like I was in my early 30s. Hmm. So, but but the point was, I also didn't make excuses why I couldn't work and save money in the meantime, to ensure that when I did, I had the character, the skill set, the logistics, and the money to bring my passion to life. Right. So many people think life is you find your passion, and then that's when you go all in. No, you go all in every day because you're alive. You got your health. You're young. You get up. You fucking work. You get 10, 15, 20 years later. Okay, you found your passion. Now you already know how to work. You have the character to work, you understand and have the skill set, and hopefully smart enough and you save some money. Mm -hmm. And now you have all these things and you go, I know exactly what I want to do. I want to start a bakery. Okay. Do you have money to get a location? Do you have the skill set to know where to get products? Do you have the ability to manage people in your bakery? Whatever your passion is, it's irrelevant. What matters is that when you don't know what that is, you allow practice and day-to-day routines to allow you to understand what you love about yourself. Hmm. When you love, when you find what you love about yourself, you can then convert that and say, this is my gift to the world. How do I amplify that? Hmm. How do I bring more people to surround me? Because most people think entrepreneurship is about self-employment. Entrepreneurship is unity around creation. I talk about this a lot in my book, Gator Choice and Third Circle Theory. But if you think about entrepreneurship, it's unity around creation. We create something, right? We innovate something. And then we unite people around it. First, we unite our family around it, share ideas. Then we unite people around it. Like we say, hey, you want to join the team where you have a skill? You know, you got to unite them around the idea, right? Mm -hmm. And then we unite customers around it. And the larger the unity, the more the social acceptance and the more the shift in the way people think and do business. Hmm. That's when you have a, oh, well, I'm just going to have a Pepsi instead of a, I'm going to have a cola. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. It's like the brand becomes the act. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the only way, basically, you can, you can really become a real entrepreneur is uniting people around creation. So when people go, well, you know, I started a pizza shop. I go, there is an entrepreneurial component to that, sure. But, but until people have united around that, if you just are doing transactions and have customers, then there's no creation to have. And if you look at some of the best restaurants or places, even if they're conventional businesses, they always have an it. That's why they made it. They have the burger. They have the pizza that everybody talks about. They don't talk about the place. They talk about something about it. Mm -hmm. It just is that thing. You know, you don't go there for like, just like anything. You don't just go like, I just want to go there and check out what I can get. In your head, you have an idea why you go there. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's that it. So, So what happens is, a lot of times people miss that and they're so focused on everything has to be perfect from the beginning. You know, hmm. everything has to be exactly as it is. And once the stars are aligned, my effort is there. But the problem is if you don't know how to make an effort, hmm. even when the stars are aligned, what are you going to do? It's great that you touched on passion too, because a lot of people, they just trying to keep up with the Joneses per se, and they want to do what the next person is doing instead of what they really feel like they should be doing. Or either they see what their parents have done, so then they just kind of replicate and go down that path, even though they still don't have a passion to do that. So it's good that you actually touched upon that. Um, So give us some advice for maybe that person that 
is trying to find themselves or find that passion? Like how, how should they go about that? So the first thing is stop listening to your parents. I know, <laughs> but let me tell you, there's two reasons why you don't want to listen to your parents. One, are your parents what you want to become? That's, that's question one. Most people don't ask that question. They just go, they're my parents, they're the authority. That's a mistake. If your parents aren't what you want to be, learn from your parents. Don't listen to your parents. There's a difference. Observe what you like in your parents. Adopt it. Don't listen to them. And don't listen to them because, one, they lived in a different era. Mm -hmm. This is, can be identified very simply by parents saying, you have to have a good education because I didn't get one. And for that reason, my life was tough. So you go to college and you get an education. Okay, 30 years ago, your diploma mattered. Today, no one gives a shit about it. So sending a kid to college for a diploma he doesn't want mm -hmm. is a waste of money for the parents is a waste of experience for the child who could have worked somewhere for four years doing something else mm -hmm. and earn experience in the ground. And it would have put him in a field that perhaps they could have used this experience rather than just sat and listen to a professor who didn't make sure. So that's like step one is don't listen to people who have not done or are not doing the things you want to do. Mm. Mm -hmm. Step two, yep. all the Joneses on the internet, they're all broke. I mean, I got a car collection. It's like almost like $15 million. So I sit with guys that are like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm on that ball game. Yeah, I got that Lamborghini. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, hey, they're like, yeah, I wanted a, a watch. I'm like, cool. All right. I was like, here's a perfect, exactly what you're looking for for 20 grand. Can I put that on my credit card? I'm like, I'm sorry, you don't have 20 grand of disposable money and you're sitting there telling people you're going to teach them how to be rich? Hmm. Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. project 20, 30 times what they really are. And they usually project what they aspire to be because some idiot told them that, you know, you have to basically be before you are and all that on Instagram. And it's just stupid. So the faster you let people know that real money and real power comes from your capacity to act. It comes from your capacity to write a check to create change in your life first and then in the lives of others, right? Mm -hmm. That's real power in America. It doesn't come from how many people follow you doesn't come from what kind of little money you're making there and there because you got a hustle going on. It comes from your ability to walk in a room and basically own that room and be like, there's no one in this room who can decide what happens to me next, period. Hmm. I own this room. Now, here's the other part. Be in a room where people can own you so you can find out how real power works hmm. and aspire to become like it. Wow. And the last piece of advice I'll give you that's really important and it's a step to become really successful in finding your passion in life. Think of life and yourself as an apple in a refrigerator. The apple analogy that I use is one that I think can resonate with people who can't find their purpose or their life or anything else. And it's simply to put it this way. An apple's purpose is to be eaten. It serves no other purpose. What happens to an apple if you leave it on the counter? It rots, mm -hmm. right? So what happens to an apple if you put it in the fridge? It rots. It just takes longer. Hmm. The only time the apple is at its peak is not by prolonging its life, but by fulfilling its purpose of being eaten. And that's it. Wow. So the refrigerator is society. If I shove your ass in a job or something you don't love doing, 
you're still going to rot. It's just going to take longer. Mm -hmm. That's why people with really high paying wow. jobs don't go through depression as fast as people were broke. Wow. Depression occurs when you have rocking and you don't know because you can't take your time back and have accepted that you're now a rotten tool. Hmm. So that's why people go through depression. It's not some fucking chemical imbalance in their head that some scientist fed you to put you on Adderall or Xanax or some shit. It's really because you don't serve a purpose and you're so behind the clock that time passes much faster than you catch, catch up to it. And you're so behind that you have gone past this state of anxiety into the state of depression. Wow. Anxiety is the first step that starts kicking in when you're behind and you go, oh my God, I'm not good enough. I'm not this. And I don't know what's going to happen. And depression happens when you've given up. Hmm. So when you know that time is, you're rotten and you're done. Wow. Mm. wow. So, so what happens is by giving you pills, I'm just putting you in the refrigerator saying you'll rot slower. Hmm. I'm not really helping you out, getting hmm. you out, right? Why do people go to depression for credit card debt? Because they don't know how to get out, right? Like they're like, I'm down a hundred grand, I make 20 grand. I don't know how I get out of that. Like I'm wow. depressed, mm -hmm. right? And this financial anxiety kicks in, anxiety can't be solved, it becomes depression. Mm -hmm. If you realize that at any given time, even if you don't know what your purpose is, your goal is always to be ahead of time, meaning make use of time so you don't rot, then you will always be fine even if you can't find your purpose for 10 years. Wow, wow. Because by the time you do, you won't go through severe depression. Wow. Now, PJ, I heard uh, uh, Napoleon once say that uh, the opposite of, of, of fear is not cowardice, but more so conformity. Do you find that uh, uh, people seem to be playing follow the copycat instead of being uh, autonomous and being the creator and stepping out on their own and saying, hey, I'm going to make my mark, but I, I, I rather do what everyone else is doing because it's safe. Well, conformity is not a negative thing. And I think that's one of the other thing and getting your life lessons from Instagram is a problem because we look at quotes and we go like, this is me. I think we need to stop this in general and understand that conformity is a reality of life. You live in a society and there are some things you have to conform to that you can like it or not. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. if you don't stop at a red light and create an accident, you're going to jail. Like doesn't, it doesn't matter. Your belief is that the red light was not, was meant to constrain me or you know, like, I, I, I don't feel free. No one gives a shit. I think society has become very focused on this idea that conforming is evil and that you have to be free. And, and I think, I think that the real gist of why people have lost the American dream is because they've confused freedom for, for I have a right versus I have a right to try. And those are two different things. So I have a right means you're entitled. I have a right to try means you have an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So if we stop trying to not conform and instead conform to the logistics of society first, we, we get jobs, we understand how they work, we earn skills, we learn the machine, we participate in government, we participate uh, in taxes, we don't try to avoid conformity. Mm -hmm. We adopt and understand the system and how it works then we create and grow past the system. The issue with people is they reject the system and they want to break the system. But the system has too many people that rely on it. And unfortunately, the more you break it, the more chaos you create. And the more you're actually hurting the people that think they're being free 
when when really they're the ones suffering the most. And like it, it's like the guy, like I'm sure you've seen this around tax season. There's always that stupid fucking meme going around about the about some guy that worries about the billionaire tax. Like, like think about it. Like some guy that works at Walmart is pissed that they're gonna tax the billionaire. <laughs> There's a yeah. one in 10 billion chances that you'll be a billionaire. And that won't even happen for 30 years from working at Walmart. So why would you care about that? Like, why are you anti that, right? Like, like what I'm saying is because it's just one day I don't want to be coughed up that way. You know, I don't want people to limit my growth. No one's limiting your growth. That's 30 years from now, trust me, we'll have five different politicians in office. Mm. Yeah, it won't even matter. You know, it doesn't matter who's in now, the next one, the one after. We'll go through three more world wars. And then by the time, if you make it through that and you're a billionaire, why don't you worry about it then? Right, right. Well, I, I, more specifically, when I was talking about conformity, not necessarily the lack of conformity for society, but I think when Napoleon Hill was talking about it, he says if you go to any city in, in the US, per, per se, every downtown area will look exactly the same. He would. He said you wouldn't know whether you're in uh, Charleston, North Carolina, or in Orlando, Florida, because everyone is doing business exactly the same way. So the reason why I asked that question was, you said you were driving a orange Lamborghini or a Ferrari. I, I don't remember exactly. But everyone else was driving black Lexuses. So essentially, people are doing business everywhere, I think was his point, driving black Lexuses, as opposed to their need to stand out, their need to uh, make a statement, their need to be bold. They rather uh, uh, reform or conform. But, but that, I, I but think that that's where I was too. headed specifically. But that can be very dangerous, because if, if I would have driven that car before I was successful, right? If I would have put all my money and done that, and I didn't have the backing, and I would have gotten fired too early, they would have hindered my plan. So the podcast, you, you should, this is the big thing. People want to be different, but, but they don't want to command respect for having done something different. There, there's, that's, that's the thing is we want to stand out. So we create, we want to shout. So we matter. So our ego can get, you know, like be made happy. Right. We we don't we don't want to do the work that makes us stand out. So so the what I'm saying is that if at any time I would have said, well, I'm more interested in the flash than I'm interested in the work, and I would have said, I don't want to conform, I don't want to go, then I wouldn't have moved up the ranks so fast. Gotcha. I wouldn't have saved enough money. I wouldn't have been able to build the companies I built. Nothing would have happened, right? So so the argument I'm making is the same as I was making earlier. If you conform to a system enough so you can overcome the system. Mm-hmm. not rather just try to oppose it, then you will do better. So even if you want to reinvent pizza shops, well, first, you have to own a normal pizza shop to know how it operates, how it works, and what its deficiencies are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just going in and throwing colors at something and hoping people will accept it because it's different is a very dangerous way to go ahead because it can crap on you so fast, so much more fast, so much faster mm-hmm. than if you actually learn the process and then innovate from within and I then completely that. innovate. I get that. I know. And, and so that's why I'm saying like, maybe those times when those things were said were relevant. You know, maybe the industrial revolution made everything look 
the same. Mm-hmm. And it made sense, right? And that's why I tell you, never learn from your parents. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. because the, an era, right? Like change it. Like people are still taking their advice from like 30-year-old news, you know, 30-year-old ideology. Right, right, right. But definitely. And we we coach some people and have said the same exact thing. You know, you you can't listen to your parents from 30 years ago because they were in a different time area and things would were a bit different back then. But I kind of yeah. want to fast forward you to uh for you to talk about more of your business. Uh, what operations uh, do you have within your business? What is your business about? Tell us about your books. Kind of lead us up to that. Yeah, so my business is teach people financial reform, basically. How to look at uh, luxury purchases as assets instead of liabilities. That's what I basically teach online through two platforms, Exotic Car Hacks and Watch Trading Academy. Uh, we have the largest uh, watch investing academy in the world where we teach people how to make investments in watches. Uh Watches like these were 100K when they came out. They're currently selling for 500,000. So there's a significant opportunity in learning how luxury assets aren't evil. Again, we're talking about 30-year-old education. People are still stuck on Lamborghinis break down all the time. Lamborghinis are manufactured by Volkswagen. And like I've had 19 of them in the last three years. And I've had one breakdown. And it was a $12 sensor. But still people are like, everything that breaks down is a million dollars. And it's expensive. And it's a money pit. I've owned over 300 cars. I've never lost a dollar. So, I mean, these are things that people don't understand in this financial education while disguised in the idea of how to drive an exotic car for free or how to make money trading watches is basically a, a set of financial tools available for people to learn how to turn their liabilities into assets more than anything else. Now, my books are completely different, uh, completely new, different direction. My personal passion and and most powerful teachings are not in finance, even though that's what my huge background is. They're in consciousness. So I teach uh, awareness, self-awareness and consciousness and the path of human evolution. And that's what my book, Third Circle Theory is. It's the it's the birth of self-awareness, followed by my second book, Radius, uh, which is my uh, book on entrepreneurship and how we create unity around creation. And then it's third trilogy and finale called The Gate of Choice, which is where the birth of consciousness takes place and how uh, self-awareness uses entrepreneurship as a tool to give birth to consciousness. Those are my three uh, bestsellers that have kind of, and it's a weird thing because people are usually like, oh, cars are vain and you know they're about showcase and lifestyle versus your books are like deep. And I'm like, one does not have to choose how to be. You know, One can enjoy great things in life. One can also have a great family and be conscious. One does not mean that someone that drives a Lamborghini has to be an idiot that, you know, doesn't understand anything. So what I'm saying is we as a society do a really good job at basically uh, stereotyping people and and not really understanding that, you know, things aren't built for everyone, meaning like Ferraris aren't built for everybody. Lexus is not built for everybody. Toyota is not built for everybody. You know, some of us will never drive a Toyota. Others will never drive a Lamborghini, you know, and it's okay. And I think that, uh, we need to really be more concerned about how we evolve rather than what others around us do and so on and so forth. So I have a directory of companies and and uh, and also uh, educational tools online to basically help these this mission kind of move forward as a whole. Wow, terrific. So uh, 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 someone comes to you and says, you know what, I, I definitely want to learn how to uh, buy these assets. I know a gentleman, true story, he was getting uh, um, divorced a few
few years ago, at the time you said you were in, in telehealth, I was selling for a company, uh, GMAC at the time, and he was getting divorced. He went out. I don't know where he got the information from, but he bought 20, 30 Rolexes and stashed them away in a safety deposit box. And he said this was basically going to be his hedge. Once she divorces him and they sell the houses, blah, 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 she wouldn't know about his, his, um, his 20, 30 Rolexes. So someone comes to you and they say they, they want to get involved with what you're doing. What, what does that essentially look like? Well, it depends on where they are in life, right? So everybody wants to get involved. The question is, where, what do they have the capacity to get involved in? Someone who's broke shouldn't be aspiring to drive a Lamborghini. They should aspire to be better, you know, and get out of that position of not being financially capable. I have a 90-day boot camp for that that talks about business consciousness and your ability to basically no longer be a victim in life. That's a very good starting point for people who don't have any level of financial control. If someone has financial control and is spending too much, I have a tool called Exotic Car Hacks that teaches people how to leverage the idea of owning a car and no longer losing money on it and being able to live a better life as a result of it. And if someone says, I want uh, to create income through luxury assets, I have a watch trading course that does that. Then I also have much more advanced level wealth transfer courses that there, it, there's no transfer of wealth if you don't have wealth, right? So, so a lot of times people are like, I want to learn wealth transfer. I'm like, you're broke. You don't need to learn wealth transfer. You need to learn how to make $100, you know? Can't make $100 million if you don't make $100. You know, like, it's just the stupidity of it. And that's what I try to tell people. Wow, that's awesome. Now, uh, uh, um, how do people connect with mm -hmm. you? How do, how do they find you? Social I know media, that you website. have a, you know, you have... A, uh, your 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 channels, but how, how do they connect with you? The easiest way to connect with me is to go through uh, learnfrompj.com. All my stuff is laid out on there. It's nice and simple. And the other way to connect on social media is simply to go uh, to I Create Millionaires on Instagram. That's the only Instagram of all of my Instagrams that I operate myself. I gotcha. And let me ask you this, PJ. Uh, uh, if there's uh, two questions I want to ask you, uh, uh, if there's one thing. Uh, you know, we all know that our time in this life is expiring, right? Whether we live to be 65, whether we live to be 85 or 95, what essentially do you want your legacy to be? What do you be? What do you want to be remembered for? My legacy are my books and my contribution to this society, which is giving people a path to a full conscious life. That is my legacy because of the work I've put forward into the world, that people adopt that work or not is their option. I think that that's if more people focused on what gifts they want to leave the world rather than what they gain from giving those gifts, then perhaps we would have more creativity and exciting, you know, tools to use in the world. Amazing. I write my books because I believe in what I write. I don't write them because they will sell and make me millions of dollars. They sell and make me millions of dollars because they are of quality and change the lives of those that read them. Wow. Wow. Fantastic. Fantastic. And lastly, if uh, to those that uh, that are listening, if there's one piece of advice that you would want to leave with them, wherever they are in life, whether they're at the very starting point, whether, whether they've 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 uh, built a little bit of something, or whether they're extremely successful, uh, if there's one piece of advice that you'd like to leave with them, what what would that be? Uh, life is really simple. No one said it has to be easy. Once you differentiate the two, you'll be okay. That's okay. <laughs> Terrific. 
It's been an absolute yes. pleasure having you on the podcast here with us. Thank I, you so I know much, that uh, we've learned so much. Uh, uh, getting a chance for you to be honest, thorough, and raw and upfront, I think that 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 was amazing. So thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be here with us today. My pleasure, guys. Have a wonderful afternoon and best of luck to you guys. Thank yes, you so thank much. You.